Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any financial or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Dale Schaefer, and here's another great episode starting now. Let's go. Welcome to episode 33 of the Financial Purpose Podcast. Uh, This is the week after Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving getting ready for the Christmas holidays. I know our tree uh, just went up. The lights are on it. And uh, Melissa is getting very excited about getting it decorated. And of course, we're hosting Christmas this year. So all the families coming in, all the kids are going to be here and uh, it's going to be a nice time. There's going to be a lot going on, but uh, but that's the holidays, right? So uh, today in the episode, uh, I want to talk about the things that you need to know before year end. And there are a variety of things that become important to just be thinking about, especially as we embark on the final really two and a half, three weeks of business here in the year. And uh, before we get started, and I don't want to um, spend a lot of time on this or, or wax poetic, but I do want to acknowledge that uh, yesterday, later in the in the afternoon, we did receive word uh, that Charlie Munger, who was the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway and uh, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, uh, passed away. And uh, that is a, it's a big loss for the investment community. I, I think it's kind of a big loss for the world because Charlie, in my opinion, was uh, definitely one of the best market observers, one of the best observers of the world and of people and of behavior. Um, certainly just a, a wise, wise man. And we were so lucky to have him in our time and uh, so lucky to have somebody like that. So uh, you know, to Charlie Munger's family, um, you know, you, you are uh, honoring a, a wonderful man and we are proud to to honor him alongside you. So uh, rest in peace, Charlie Munger absolutely will be missed. And uh, if you want to know a little bit more about Charlie, if, if you don't know very much about Charlie, uh, definitely look him up. He, he has some really great quotes uh, that you can check out about the markets and uh, about people and behavior, like I said, and um, just a really, really smart guy. And uh, so cool that we've had a chance to uh, to follow him and listen to him for so many years. So anyway, that's uh, Charlie Munger. Rest in peace. Good, sir. All right. So as we head into the end of the year and right before Santa comes, uh, there are several things that you need to know and consider before December 31st. And because there are so many things to be thinking about, I have a lot of notes. So I'm going to be, if you're watching this, I'm going to be looking down a fair bit. If you're listening to this, uh, bear with me as I go through this. And as always, I'll try to keep the numbers easy to follow and not that complex. Um, But first, we're going to talk about um, a couple of investment things, investment related things. Um, we'll go into uh, some cash flow related things, a couple of uh, items that are related to estate planning. Um, and, uh, and that should take us kind of to, uh, to the end here. So here we go. First and foremost, if you have 
taxable investment accounts. These are accounts that are not retirement. They're brokerage. Um, they are, they're currently taxable for dividends, capital gains, all of that. Um, there's a couple of things that you're going to want to know first is if you haven't already done this, if you have unrealized investment losses in your taxable accounts, you can take a look at whether or not those losses make sense to capture. It depends on what it is. So we've had a decent year for much of the market. It's been kind of up and down. A lot of performance earlier in the year certainly was driven by just a handful of companies. And so the the general market really wasn't performing all that well, uh, although it looked like it was. Uh, bonds haven't performed all that well this year. So there may be some losses in the account that can make sense. If you need to offset taxable income, um, you can go ahead and capture and realize those losses and uh, you can write up up to or write off up to three thousand uh, dollars of loss against ordinary income and uh, so that may be something to consider if you're somebody who uh, has a retirement account and you're subject to taking rmds uh, or required minimum distributions uh, and that could include somebody who is not only at RMB age, but also who has an inherited IRA, those also, uh, you're required to take RMDs from those. And there are rules around that, depending on when uh, the person who you inherited that account from passed away, if it was before January 1st of, or I should say, if it was before December 31st of 2019, you're under a different set of rules than anyone who passed away from January 1st, 2020 and beyond because of the changes in the SECURE Act. Um, I'm not going to go into those rules in this podcast, but if you have questions about that, please send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com. I'll be happy to walk you through what you need to do and what to expect. But if you're subject to RMDs, um, if you have multiple IRAs, which some people do because of rollovers and different things like that, uh, you can aggregate those those RMDs between the accounts, but you cannot do that with an inherited IRA. Again, those are those are those little nuancey rules. Happy to discuss with you based on your situation. Um, and if you do have an RMD to take yet before the end of the year, you probably want to start thinking about doing that here pretty soon because December 31st is the deadline and there is a penalty for not taking your RMD or not taking the uh, at least correct amounts uh, from your RMD. So if you need help calculating how much RMD you need to take, please, again, send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com. I'll be happy to walk you through that calculation. It's very simple. Um, but if you have not taken your RMD or you're thinking about taking your next one in January or in the first quarter of 2024, if you're charitably, charitably inclined and you don't need the money, you can consider making a qualified charitable distribution. Uh, there are just a couple of small rules to that. You have to be at least 70 and one half years of age. And the maximum that you can take from your IRA and give to any qualified charity of your choice under that qualified charitable distribution, the maximum amount is $100,000. And the nice thing about doing the the QCD or the qualified charitable distribution is that it's completely tax-free to use. So if you're taking money out of your IRA and it's going straight to a charity, then that is a tax-free transfer. And uh, that can be very helpful, again, if you don't need the money. Um, 
And because QCDs and RMDs and, and all the other acronyms, because they touch tax planning, let's talk a little bit about tax planning. So a couple of things that you want to know, this is for everybody. Um, if you expect your income to increase in the future, we want to consider ways that we can look at reducing uh, future tax liability. And we do that through uh, Roth IRAs or Roth 401k contributions or Roth conversions based on where you are in your tax bracket and cash flow. Um, if it's available to, to you through your employer, through your 401k plan, um, and you're at a, if, if you're at an income level now and you expect that to grow over the next few years, you can consider going ahead and making Roth 401k contributions. Now, the, the beauty of that is once you open the Roth account, that starts the clock for all of the contributions that you put in plus any of the investment gains and earnings. Those become tax-free after five years, and then they're completely tax-free and penalty-free from withdrawal after age 59 and a half. So uh, Roth IRA or 401k or even a Roth conversion can be a really great and powerful retirement planning tool. And again, these are things that we can talk about. It's the, These are all financial planning strategies, but they're very helpful for tax planning. Now, the thing that you want to remember with any Roth contribution is that you make that contribution after tax. And so you don't get to deduct it from your income in the year that you make that contribution. However, the benefit is not for this year. The benefit is for later in life when that is completely tax-free income completely tax-free distribution so uh if you are someone who is age 59 and a half or older we want to fill up tax brackets we want to get as much as possible out of a taxable account into a tax-free account because that's going to be helpful to you it removes the rmd requirement and again it gives you that tax-free and penalty-free withdrawal now if you're somebody who is at a higher wage earning um, station and you expect your income to decrease in the future, then what you probably want to do is minimize your tax liability now, this year, next year, right in the current year. And in your case, you actually want to use the traditional IRAs or traditional 401ks because the game is to reduce your taxable income in the current year. We're not as worried about taxable income later because in theory, you're at a higher tax bracket today than you will be when you're at your retirement age. So those strategies do flip a little bit based on where you are in income, what your tax bracket is, what you expect uh, that to look like over the next coming years. And again, those are all financial planning questions. Another point on tax planning. If you have capital losses that are carry forward from prior years, so a great example is 2022 was a bad investment year. And uh, for quite a few of my clients with taxable accounts, we generated losses on purpose so that we could have carry forwards for future years. And so for the next handful of years, I have clients who are just going to be able to carry forward. They're going to offset any short-term gains, and then they're going to be able to take another $3,000 of deduction against taxable income. And that's a wonderful thing. So if you have capital losses or carry forwards, um, again, you can reduce ordinary taxable income up to $3,000 
And, uh, and that can be something to take a look at. Again, that's in your brokerage account. Remember that in IRAs or retirement accounts, gains and losses really don't, they don't matter necessarily like they do in your brokerage account because they're not, in an IRA, it's not a taxable event. In a brokerage account, it is. So definitely something to take a look at if you do have losses sitting in that brokerage account. Next is based on where you are in your marginal tax bracket, are you close to the upper limit of that tax bracket? And you can find your tax brackets, uh, just Google search 2023 tax brackets, and you'll find them. Uh, NerdWallet has a really great one for uh, both single head of household and for married filing jointly. And you can get an idea of where you are in that tax bracket. Remember that we have a progressive tax system. So if you're in the 24% tax bracket, as an example, you're not paying 24% on every dollar that you've earned this year. You're paying some amount of money. And the amount is, um, depending on if you're single or married filing jointly, up to a certain amount, you're paying uh, 10%. And then above that next amount, you've got a bracket where you're paying 12%. And then at the next amount, 12, 22%, and then 24%. But then there's a massive jump from 24 to 32%. And that's a huge, huge increase. And so that jump from 24% to 32% happens at $182,100 of income for single and head of household filers or $364,200 for married filing jointly. So if you're knocking on the door, uh, if you're single and you're getting close to about $180,000 of earnings, we want to take a look at where you are in your tax bracket. And if you're married uh, and you're filing jointly and you're getting close to $360,000 of income, we want to take a look at that as well. Uh, if you are somebody who has income um, above $492,300 single head of household or above $553,850 for married filing joint, um, that's where you go from 15% of capital gains rate to 20% capital gains rate. And again, I'm, I'm going circular here. Bear with me. Capital gains rate matters for your brokerage account. And so these are all part of the tax planning things we want to look at. But if you're getting close to those thresholds that I said earlier, from that's going to take you from 24 to 32, there are some things that we want to take a look at to possibly um, defer any income that we can defer into the next year. Uh, we can take losses to try to offset some of that income. Uh, there are ways where you can bunch deductions. We can look at charitable contributions that can offset income. We can look at 529 contributions uh, that will offset income. There's a lot of different things that we can do uh, to try to, to minimize the tax impact and, and try to keep that big bracket jump from happening in your case. And this becomes very important if you're somebody who is on Medicare because if your income is above a certain level, you may be subject to what's called IRMA surcharges. Um, and that's if your if your MEGI exceeds 
97,000 as a single person or 194,000 married filing joint. And, uh, and the IRMA surcharges are very important because it will kind of add a tax onto your Medicare Part B premium. So this is something that you want to, you want to take a look at. Certainly we're still, uh, still within the final period of the, the enrollment period for Medicare. And uh, if you've yet to talk to a Medicare professional, definitely talk to them. They'll be able to give you some parameters on where you might fall if Irma is going to be um, something that's going to apply to you or not. And again, if you have questions, tax professional, financial advisor, or send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com. I'll be happy to talk with you about that. Uh, okay, for business owners, if you own a pass-through business, and this is going to be an LLC, an S-Corp, uh, a partnership, that kind of entity, um, take a look at, and again, talk with your tax professional, uh, whether or not you qualify for QBI or Qualified Business Income Deduction. There are some rules for eligibility, so take a look at that. And uh, if you have business expenses, consider if it makes sense to go ahead and capture those expenses in the current year, or if it makes sense to possibly defer expenses into the next year based on where you expect the tax liability to be. These are very important tax planning considerations. And then finally, consider starting a retirement plan for yourself and your employees. There are many different options. Some of these plans have different timelines and deadlines that you have to meet. And some of those are the end of the year, the end of the calendar year. And some of them are uh, before the tax filing deadline, including your extension. So you will just want to know the difference. You want to know the rules. And uh, there is a plan comparison chart for all the different retirement plans that are available. Uh, I This is something that I made for Life Moves Wealth. I will put it in the show notes. So wherever you're listening to this, if you just scroll down, there will be a link to that chart and you can see all the different options that are available. Some of those retirement plans can be combined. So definitely, um, you know, reach out with any questions there and we can do some plan construction and uh, figure out what's going to work best for you and for your company. But the great news about starting a retirement plan for your company is it does a couple of things. First, it provides a benefit for your employees. It helps them begin to save. It gives them a tax deduction or it gives them the ability to save on the Roth side so they can have a later tax-free benefit. The other thing that it does is it gives you the opportunity as the owner to put some money away and possibly be able to do uh, a higher amount of contributions for yourself without tripping the discrimination rules, which again is part of the plan construction that we can do. And it gives the business a taxable benefit because you conduct that as an employee benefit, the amount of contributions that you're matching or for non-elective uh, contributions, if it's a safe harbor plan, there's some great benefits there for the, not only the, the owner, the business, but also for the employees. And then finally on the tax front, uh, if you have had a change to your marital status in the current year, so in 2023, if you got married, be sure that your tax professional runs an analysis on whether or not it's going to make sense and be better for you to file as married filing separate or married filing jointly. It's not always one 
easy answer. There can be a, a variety of reasons why it might make sense to file either way. Um, for some people with student loans that are on income-based repayment plans, uh, it can make sense to file married filing separately. Now, there's been some changes to that through the SAVE plan, so you may now be able to file married filing joint. But again, it, it's it's a tax planning question. Make sure you talk to your tax professional about that. If you are legally separated in 2023 or in the current year when you're listening to this, um, you may consider filing as married filing separate. However, once the divorce is final, you will file as a single taxpayer or head of household if you qualify for that year, no matter when the divorce was final. So if your divorce is final on December 29th, you are a single filer for that year. So it's very important that you do this correctly. Um, if you were married or if you were divorced, you'll probably need to file a new W-4 with your employer based on your new tax filing status. If there are dependent children involved, you need to be crystal clear on which parent is eligible to claim any dependent child for that specific tax year. And this is very important because I have seen this goes sideways for a lot of people who are recently divorced. One spouse uh, or a parent believes that they have a right to claim the child, so they do. The other one believes that they have a right to claim the child, so they do. And then both of you end up with an IRS issue that you just don't want to deal with. So make sure that you're crystal clear, that you get agreement, or that you get a court order that specifies exactly who is claiming the child in which year, at what time, and uh, and that there's no confusion there. Okay, let's look at some cash flow and savings opportunities uh, that you still have available before the end of the year. So if you have an HSA, then you are eligible to contribute up to, uh, as a single person, $3,850, or uh, for a family, $7,750, or an additional $1,000 if you are age 55 or older. To have an HSA, you have to have a high deductible healthcare plan. And uh, so make sure that you understand those limits and then up to that uh, either $3,850 or $7,750, you can contribute every year and it rolls over so you don't have to spend the money. It doesn't go anywhere. You can invest it. And, uh, and the nice thing about the HSA is that when you use the money for qualified medical expenses, it's completely tax-free. So you, you not only get the money growing tax-free, you get to save it tax-free, but you also get to use it tax-free as long as it's used for a medical expense that, that qualifies. So it's a great way to save some money. And you can save to an HSA all the way up into retirement. And uh, so that's a pretty good deal. Now, if you have an FSA, which is a little bit different, a flex savings account, um, the max that you can roll over from 2023 to 2024 is only $610. So if you have more than $610 in your FSA and you're not sure if you're going to use it, figure out how to use it because that money will just simply be gone and, uh, and you'll have to start over in January. So you may have, depending on the rules of your account and your employer, you may have until March 15th to spend unused funds that get rolled over 
but you want to check your rules here. And the same rules actually may apply to your dependent care FSA. So again, check the rules, check with your employer, check with the plan administrator, which usually if it's not, um, you know, somebody in your HR department, they'll get you to the right people or they'll have the information to make sure that you know those rules. And um, on that note, when we're talking about whether or not to use the money, if you've already met your healthcare deductible for the current year and you have any other expected medical expenses, try to get them into the calendar year before the year ends, before your deductible resets in January. So if we're sitting here today, as I record this, it's November 29th. You have a whole another 32 days to be able to use your medical money. So if it's dental work that you need done, if it's a procedure, if it's a checkup, if it's physical therapy, if it's anything that qualifies um, under insurance, you've already met that deductible. Go ahead and get those things done because it's it's way more beneficial than waiting till after the first of the year and then starting back over paying the deductible. Another savings thing here is you may be able to make one-time deferrals to your retirement plan and try to catch up or reach the max contribution limit. So if you're behind on saving for the year, there are limits on how to do that based on the type of retirement plan. You could talk to your financial advisor, talk to your plan administrator to understand those rules. And for parents, there is still time in the year to open and contribute to a 529 plan or open a new one if you don't have one yet. You can use up your annual exclusion amount to contribute, which will allow you to put in up to $17,000 in 2023 uh, to a beneficiary's 529 education savings. Sorry, it's not an education savings account. It's just a 529 savings account. I have to be careful because there is an ESA, which is completely different and has completely different rules. Um, but anyway, you can contribute up to $17,000 per taxpayer per recipient. So good example here is if you and your wife have a child named Billy, or you and your husband have a child named Billy, however that works for you. Um, one of you can contribute $17,000 for Billy's 529, and the other of you can contribute another $17,000 for Billy's 529 in the same year. Or as an alternative, you can make a lump sum contribution of up to $85,000 uh, to each beneficiary's 529 account, and then you just elect to treat it as if it were evenly made over a five-year. And again, that's gift tax-free. So when when you uh, are filing your taxes, you will say, I made a gift of $17,000 and you just acknowledge it. And you have to acknowledge it because it actually goes against your lifetime credits or um, what we would call your gift exclusion. And currently uh, those limits are, are incredibly high and uh, they are um, completely open to uh, Congress making new tax law, which uh, the current tax law is subject to sunset at the end of 2025. And uh, so these limits may change, but currently over your lifetime, you're, you're eligible for up to $12.92 million that's excluded. You can give away up to $12.92 million and pay no taxes on it. Now that may drop if it goes back to pre-2018 tax law, then we're talking about a drop from $12.92 million 
all the way down to about 5 million. And that's the estimate that we're looking at if Congress allows the current tax law to sunset. So if you're going to make a one-time contribution, then you just check that box on your tax return and say, I I did $85,000 or whatever the amount is. And I want to treat that as a five-year even contribution. And then just for the next five years, you can't put any more money into that same recipient's of I did it again, 529 account. Um, also for 529s, remember that those are state-run plans. And so many states have tax incentives based on parent contributions. So definitely check that out for your state. And then finally for parents uh, on the education front, if you have children who are currently in middle and high school, this is the time to start thinking about potential financial aid planning, which includes different strategies for how and when to receive income, uh, how and, and where to be saving, and most importantly, how to help your child make an economical decision about the college and the program that they choose. And uh, the the whole part about where where to save and how to save and how to how to manage income over those years is because there's a difference between how much is counted for um, your expected family contribution or the EFC. If you are a parent, um, your assets count for 5.64%, meaning that the university expects 5.64% of your assets to be used to pay for the education of your child. But if the child earn or owns the assets, then the EFC calculation jumps up to 20%. They expect that 20% of the child's assets will be used to pay for the education. And so that's all a part of that uh, calculation when you fill out the FAFSA in October every year. That's how you find out what you're eligible for for financial aid. So now is a good time to do that. And remember on the FAFSA, they look back two years. And so if it's if you're filling out the FAFSA for 2023, and if you haven't filled out the 2023 FAFSA yet, and you have a high school senior or someone who is in college currently, please go do that. Go do it like today. Um, but remember that in 2023, they're looking at your 2021 tax return to fill out the FAFSA. So very important uh, to consider those savings and income strategies now especially if you have a child who is a junior or senior in high school who will be making their first FAFSA application uh, either this year or next fall. All right, a couple of final items here to wrap up to consider before year end. This has been a lot of information and um, and thanks for hanging in there. But these, these are kind of the easy ones. Uh, if you've had any changes to your family or your heirs or people that you want to be your heirs over the past year. And that can be from birth, death, or family feuds or anything like that. Um, You want to be sure that you just take a review of your estate plan. And more importantly, take a look at all the names that that are in your will or your trust or your POAs for either a healthcare general or a financial. You want to take a look at who's listed on your uh, HIPAA authorization form. You want to take a look at who's on your uh, healthcare directive or your end of life instructions. Just look at all of those names. Make sure that they're still correct. Uh, make sure that whoever you have 
in there as successors or as executors, whoever's named there, just be sure that they're, you still think that they're competent and the right person to assume that role and act on your behalf when you can no longer act on your behalf or when you're no longer with us to act at all, they would step in as your representatives. And remember, important thing for POAs, this is often a misnomer. Um, if you grant somebody a power of attorney who can sign documents on your behalf for you, that power of attorney expires when you die. So after you're dead, nobody has your power of attorney. And I will often hear people say, well, you know, mom passed away a year ago, but I'm her power of attorney, so I can sign these things. The power of attorney dies with the person who grants it. So just make sure that you're aware of that. Uh, all right. So if there's been changes to your heirs or to the people who are named in your documents, um, or if you've bought or sold major assets that may or may not be included in your estate documents and need to be, um, let's take a look at that. Let's consider how it will impact your estate plan and which of those documents, if any, need to be revised, amended, um, you know, if there needs to be a codicil written, if there needs to be any, any change, let's do that together. And then speaking of estate planning, um, and I just talked about this with uh, 529s, but there's still time in this year to make one-time tax-free gifts. And again, the annual exclusion is up to $17,000 per taxpayer, per recipient. And the reason to do that would be if you're getting close to any of those, uh, especially if you're getting close to that um, estate tax exclusion, uh, you want to make sure that you're able to get money out of your estate and either to other people or to other charities or into some other sort of irrevocable life insurance or something else that pulls the money out of your taxable estate. And again, that's all estate planning and financial planning tools that we can work on together. Um, but there's still time to do it. If you want to make some tax-free gifts, now is the time. And, and who doesn't want money for the holidays, right? So that's perfect. And then because everything that we've talked about, just as I wrap up here, um, all of this stuff, this is all covered in the lens of financial planning. And I find sometimes that it can be challenging to explain what financial planning actually is what is the service what do we do what's included and it, it's everything from again cash flow strategies to asset management um you know your net worth is think of it as your personal balance sheet if you're a business owner that language makes sense um it's it's your risk planning how do we make sure that we've covered all the possible risks that you might be exposed to. And if we haven't covered it, are we comfortable with assuming the risk or do we need to transfer it to the insurance company by buying an insurance policy? It's your investment planning. Investments can mean stocks and bonds and alternatives and cash. It can also mean real estate and private placements and apartment buildings and uh, arts, I mean, all sorts of different things. And it includes tax planning, which is a major part of financial planning. And it's a major part of investment planning. And, uh, and it's also a major part of asset planning, which then goes into retirement planning. And I always say retirement, whatever that looks like to you, is an important consideration because we're going back to how are we invested? What are the tax implications? And how does it get you the best possible situation in your retirement age. And then finally, estate planning, which is 
How do you get to decide what happens to all of your things that you've acquired that you spent your lifetime earning and working and saving? Where does that go and who does it go to? And how do we make sure that you get to decide and not the county probate judge uh, where you live? So if you don't have a financial plan to start 2024, if you don't have anything in place, if you've not had conversations with anybody, this is a perfect time to meet with a competent financial planner and they can help you navigate any of the items that I've discussed in the episode today or anything else that may be on the horizon where you can benefit from really good, solid guidance. So there's a couple of places you can go if you want to find a really good financial planner who's qualified, vetted, and is certified, has passed a lot of uh, exam work and qualified, uh, required financial planning hours and expertise and continuing education and all the things, go to letsmakeaplan.org. Letsmakeaplan.org. That website is uh, offered by the Certified Financial Planner Board. And uh, just type in your zip code or type in your city and it will give you a list of all of the Certified Financial Planners or CFPs in your area. Of course, if you're listening to this, by all means, you can head over to lifemoveswealth.com and learn more about our approach to financial advice. You can also send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com if you have any specific questions or comments that are related to the information I shared today. So that's it. The end of the year is coming super fast. It'll be here probably tomorrow or the next day, it seems like. And if any of these items discussed today apply to you and and they're things that you want to make sure that you get addressed or even get done before the end of the year, then let's get them taken care of and let's do it before the holiday lull sets in, which I tend to find happens like around the 13th or 14th of December. People just start getting on Santa's sleigh and, and off they go. So Let's get it taken care of. Let's do it before the end of the year. I'm happy to help again of, or find somebody in your area and, uh, and they can help. Most of us CFPs are licensed and eligible to practice in multiple states. I have clients all over the country. So uh, location isn't necessarily uh, a bigger factor. It really depends on finding the right person for you with the right expertise to help with your situation and somebody that you're really comfortable with. And I think that's important. So That's it. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy holidays to you and to yours. And until next time, take care. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Learn more about your financial purpose at lifemoveswealth.com.